All right, you can open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Cody, can you put that uh, third journey slide up there, please? All right, so we kind of left off. Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem with that contribution that he has collected from all the churches, all the saints for the, the, the poor saints in Jerusalem. And last week we saw Paul, he was given this five-hour sermon there in Troas. Um, so you remember, kind of recall here, young Eutychus, he falls asleep, he falls out of that third-story uh, window, and it says here he was picked up dead. We talked about that really briefly. Um, that Greek word nekros uh, literally means dead. So he died, young, young Eutychus died, and um, then we get to see this great miracle by the, the hand of God's grace through the Apostle Paul here. Paul takes young Eutychus in his arms, and his life comes back, his life returns to him. And it says there in verse 12 that that they took the youth away alive. So the youth meaning Eutychus. Um, that word alive, the Greek zonta, you guess what it means? Alive. All right, so he, picked up, he was picked up dead and he went away, went away alive. So this great miracle here um, of resurrection. Uh, also notice uh, verse 11. So verse 11 says, And when Paul had gone up and broken bread, this would have been after midnight, and eaten, he conversed with them a long while until daybreak. And so he departed. Um, they fellowshiped, gathered together, spoke of all the things God is doing and has done, and, and talked about Scripture, and did this all night long until daybreak. And so here we left off in verse 13. I'll go ahead and read it. We'll, this, we'll finish up this, here, this passage, uh, 13 through 16. Um, and as I read, just can give your attention to God's word, his holy, perfect word that he has given to us. Verse 13, But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asos, intending to take Paul aboard there, for he, for he had arranged... For so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when we met at Asos, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day, we touched at Samos. And the day after, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem, if possible, on the day of Pentecost. Father, we pray that you just bless the, the reading of your word. And Lord, we pray that your word just falls heavy on our hearts today. Pray for sanctification, regeneration. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we see here, uh, verse 13, he's leaving Troas and, and making their way to Asos, this 30-mile journey by foot. Um, it says here that, that we set sail. So, so Luke and the crew uh, set sail. They, they went by boat, but we see here Paul goes by land. So the seven companions here, Sopater, uh, 
Aristarchus, Secundus, Gaius, Timothy, uh, Tychicus, Trophimus, and then also Luke. We see here because that, that first person um, plural here uh, comes back into the narrative here in, in chapter 20. So we know, Paul, we know Luke's there with him. Uh, and so they get on the ship, and the ship was either chartered, chartered possibly in Troas or, or back in Philippi when they came across the Aegean Sea, um, or perhaps Paul just cut a deal with a, a, a ship captain that was already making that journey. So whatever it be, they're, they're on their route here, and, and the crew gets on the ship, but Paul decides that he's going to make this 30-mile journey on foot and alone. So the question that I'm going to pose today is, is why? Like, why did Paul do this? Why did Paul walk this, this journey alone, this 30 miles alone? So there's several varying opinions on this. Um, you hear anything from, well, Paul didn't want to go on the ship because it was dangerous. That, that the cove there, the Aegean Sea, was, it could get rough and, and it was dangerous. That doesn't really seemed to make sense because why would he send the disciples, the seven, on there if it was dangerous and, and then him walk? Um, also, possibly to stay clear, because remember when he was in Corinth and on the, the dock of Sincrea probably is where he caught word that the Jews were plotting against him, right? And so if this ship would have been possibly full of Jews that were coming to Jerusalem for the, for the Passover, for Pentecost, and possibly he was afraid that maybe some of those Jews were on there that plotted against him. Again, probably less likely because why would he send the disciples on there and put them in danger? Um, perhaps he wanted to take the road, that Roman road from, from Troas to Asos, to evangelize, to evangelize the gospel on that road. Like that makes sense, right? It's, 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 it makes sense. It's a likely reason, but I don't think that was the only reason. Because if it was the only reason, why did he do it alone? He would have brought the whole crew with him to evangelize that road, right? So that's the that question that we're going to pose. And so let's kind of backtrack here and, and try to get into the mind of Paul. Uh, again, the scriptures don't explicitly say why he took this journey alone, but we have several insights here um, that can perhaps give us some clues as to why he, he did do this. Uh, so I want to first point out here, remember he was in Ephesus, three years in Ephesus, and he goes to Troas, uh, sets sail, goes across the, the Aegean Sea, meets up with uh, Luke in Philippi, the whole crew just going down through uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, possibly slipped into Athens, but we know then he spent three months there in Corinth and then heard the word that the, the Jews were plotting against him. So instead of taking the direct route by boat to Jerusalem, he backtracked. The Spirit convicted him to backtrack and lead him back through Macedonia, back to Philippi, and then across to, to Troas. So, so in that, this back up here to Corinth and in here in Corinth, on this third missionary journey, is when he writes the letter to the Romans. So he's writing to Romans, and in that letter, you see something that was 
starting to trouble him. That was troubling him, which may indicate this, this solo walk from Troas to, to Asos. So go ahead and turn with me to Romans 15, and we'll kind of start looking this and, and opening up and kind of investigating here the mind of Paul. So chapter 15 of Romans, verse 23, so it's talking about his plans here, so the big plans that, that Paul has, so verse 23, but now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there from you which I have enjoyed, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. So here he is, he is at like the height of his ministry. So it's his third missionary journey. Paul would have been somewhere around 60 years old at this time. And so he, he has seen so many things, so many, so many works of God throughout all these different regions of Syria, Galatia, Asia, Macedonia, Ikea, just seeing all these great things that, that the Lord is doing. And, and here, though, he's very optimistic. He's very optimistic as he writes to the Romans in verse 23. He said he's longed for many years to come to you. And so he plans here to, to go there to minister, them, minister to them and, and be refreshed by them, be, be, being built up by them as he pours into them as well. And then in verse 24 it says, whenever I go to Spain. So talking about his trip to Spain. So he, man, he's planning this trip to Rome, to the church in, in, in Rome, and then the Romans would then help him launch this missionary journey into Spain. And so his heart here is to, to eventually make it to Spain, to go to Spain. And verse 25 says, but first I'm going to Jerusalem to bring that contribution to the saints and also to celebrate with the believers. So there he wanted to get there before Passover. So he wanted to get there to, or I'm sorry, Pentecost. And so he wanted to get there to uh, celebrate with them the, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened some 30 years prior to so he was just eager to get there and, and worship and celebrate with the saints there in Jerusalem. So he's excited about those future ministries that he has planned. And again, big plans ahead that, that Paul is in his mind here of all these things in which uh, he's going to do, where he's going to go, what God is going to do in these different regions. There's another thing here um, that... He tells the Romans concerning that trip to Jerusalem, concerning going to Jerusalem. So go ahead and kind of look down here into verse, verse 30. So verse 30 here of Romans 15, it says, And I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. So why does Paul, why does Paul here want, to, want the, the Romans to pray for him? So it says here in the very next verse, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. So here we see he assumes that, that, that he will be 
delivered and he'll be rescued uh, in Jerusalem because his plans were go, to go there. And, and although he knows that it's dangerous territory there in Jerusalem, but then from there, go to Rome and then eventually off into Spain. And so what is on his mind here is these big plans, these big future ministries, church planting, etc., is on the heart of Paul, which is, makes sense. That's always on the heart of Paul. However, after he leaves Corinth, so backtracking to that third journey, and he's in Corinth for three months, after he leaves Corinth, he travels back through Macedonia into Troas, and things seem to change on that journey. He begins to be confronted with revelation, and his mindset begins to change. By the time he gets to Troas, the picture for his, his future is different. So these revelations that the Lord brings to him don't line up with what his plans and his desires and his goals are. So when he leaves Corinth, he's very optimistic, very hopeful. He has big plans. By the time he gets to Troas, I believe there's something troubling Paul, which is why he makes this 30-mile journey alone. So there's issues in his mind that he must work through, issues in his heart that he must work through that, that has everything to do with his ministry with the Lord. So in Corinth, big plans, optimistic, as he travels back through Macedonia, at every church he starts getting a prophetic word about the future of his ministry. So in Acts 20, so go ahead and go back to Acts So in Acts 20 here, I'm going to jump in a little bit ahead uh, just so we can kind of get this picture of what's going on in Paul's mind. When he gets to Miletus, he speaks with the Ephesian elders. He shares with them what is on his heart and what is on his mind. So in verse 22, verse 22, we see this here, what's on his heart. It says, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem Constraint, constrained by the Spirit and knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and affliction awaits me. So up to this point here, in Corinth he sees possible trouble in Jerusalem, but us confronted with these revelations. So when Corinth is super confident that he's going to go to Jerusalem, be rescued there, and then be able to move on to Rome, and then on to Spain. But once he leaves Corinth, in every city he passes through, he received from the Spirit that imprisonment and afflictions await you. Imprisonment and afflictions await you. Every city he goes to, imprisonment and afflictions await you. Chains and difficulties Wait, the Apostle Paul. So we receive this message, probably in Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, God raising up prophets in the church. Remember, there's still prophets and in, in speaking revelation at this time because the canon was not yet closed. And we see that in Agabus here, later in, in, 
chapter 20 here that we'll get to, if the Lord permits here in the future. Um, so in each and every city, he hears the words, imprisonment and afflictions await, imprisonment and afflictions await. So these words echo the very call, the very beginning of his ministry back in Acts chapter 9. Remember the Lord, he, he tells Ananias, he says, that Paul, Paul is, is the chosen instrument of mine to bear witness to the Gentiles, to kings. And he says, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So this, new, this prophetic word that he's getting as he's going through these cities, I'm sure he's echoing in his mind that, that beginning of his ministry there. And now... Paul, being a Roman citizen, a free man in terms of legality, um, we know none are free, either slaves to sin or, or slaves to Christ. Um, but in terms of legality, he was a free man. Go anywhere he wants, preach the gospel, but he was about to lose that freedom here very soon. So it's a question, was it, was it the persecution that, that awaited him was, was that the cause for his turmoil, and, and was that the, the catalyst for him for taking this 30-mile journey? Remember Paul, in, in the letter to the Second Corinthians, he, he tells them, he's like, five times, five times I received the, the Jewish lashings, 40 minus one. I mean, Paul, by this time, Paul, I mean, he probably looked like hamburger. Just taking these, these, these punishments, these beatings. It says, Third time, three times I was beaten with rods. Luke recorded one uh, that we read about back in Philippi. One time stone, we read about that in Lystra. Three times shipwrecked. We haven't even gotten to the narrative of, of him being shipwrecked yet. So three times prior, he's already been shipwrecked. I don't believe that was what was troubling Paul. His ministry was full of persecution but rather that he sees the end of his ministry nearing. He's seeing his, his testimony coming to a head. He has all these big plans, godly plans, but now realizing that his plans are not God's plans for him. And so he assumed he would go to Jerusalem and although dangerous, would be rescued, and then he would go off to the next mission, off on the next journey. But through the Spirit of God, he learns that he would lose that freedom, he would be imprisoned, and his plans would be derailed. So understand that the Apostle Paul, his, his heart was, was so fervent, so continuously full of zeal, to preach the gospel, no matter what situation. Remember what he said to, to the Corinthians. He says, he says, woe to me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. It would just, he would be sick. It would sicken him if he was not preaching the gospel. That was his calling. That was the purpose of this man's life, the gospel. But in every city, he would be told, imprisonment and afflictions await you. I think this was a, a bitter pill for Paul to swallow. His, his heart 
fervently given to missions, his heart given to church planning, his heart given to the preaching of the gospel, discipleship, building up the saints. So I think it's, it's, it's hard to fathom what's going on inside the mind of Paul at this very moment as, as he's realizing that his plans, no matter how godly they may be, no matter how fervent they may be, are being thwarted by God's plans. Because God's plans always, always trump our plans. So a good explanation as to why Paul is, is taking this 30-mile journey alone by foot from Troas to Asos. Is, again, we, we don't 100% know this. But a good explanation is, is because Paul is he's working through essentially his own Gethsemane experience. This curtailing of his plans is, is likely weighing heavy on his heart. So he was dealing, he was working through, wrestling with these issues. So he gets to Troas, and he sends the crew by ship, but he chooses to go by land, walking these two days and, and being alone for two days with the Lord in order to, to settle his soul. I think one thing, too, we have to always keep in mind is that, that Paul is human. Paul's human. He, he may seem superhuman at times. But, but Paul, he's human, he has desires, he has passions like all of us. And his calling was, was very, very personal to him. Remember what Paul was doing before he was saved. Saul, he was, he was leading the persecution of the Christians in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And this reminder for him of where he came from and, and the state in which God just pulled him out of it's always, man, never slipped his mind, always on the forefront of his mind. He was so zealous for the gospel. He carried it into places where, where Christ had, had never been named before. He was going to these places that were so saturated in paganism, but standing firm in the faith and, and preaching the gospel in front of those pagans. And now the Holy Spirit is telling him, you're going to be caged. You're going to be sidelined. You're going to be imprisoned. Bonds and afflictions await you. It's like an athlete that just reaches the pinnacle of their sport. And right before the championship game, just gets sidelined. So it's going through Paul's mind here. His desires are completely thwarted, completely torpedoed. His plans frustrated. Remember the psalm, Psalm 33, verse 10. The Lord brings the counsels of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. You know, that's not just believers or unbelievers, but believers too. We have big plans sometimes, and, and he comes in and, and, and he moves us down the path in which we ought to go. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of the man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his footsteps. I think we can all testify this. Like, have we ever been there before? I think we can all think back, possibly be in that moment right now. 
You ever set your heart upon something and then suddenly it just falls apart right in front of you? Okay, I think we can all testify to the, to the bitter pill at some point. Same thing in which Paul is, is, is wrestling through. Just imagine the, the, the struggle for Paul. When, when, when you know what lies ahead of you, but just don't want to do it. You don't want to go. You find yourself in this difficult situation. You just, you just want some, some way for a way out, looking for a way out. You want an, an alternative, but, but you're just hemmed up by the providence of God. He's closed all the doors. Every single door you look to go through, he closes it. The only open door you can go through leads you down a path that your flesh is telling you that you don't want to go. That's what Paul is struggling with. It's a trial you cannot escape. It's, it's an affliction you cannot avoid. So what do you do? What do you do when, when you, you, you come to that place there's just that one open door well you can either get cold and angry at God which isn't very wise he always wins the fight you can struggle wrestle with it you experience in your life I experience in my life and I think what Paul is experiencing right now in his life is his own Gethsemane experience. A time when, when you must face, you must get a grip with whose will is best. Is it your will or is it God's will? I don't know about you, but I choose the latter over the former. You recall the story here. You could turn if you would like to. Uh, if you feel convicted to Matthew 26. There in verse 36 is, is the narrative there. Uh, Jesus praying in, in Gethsemane. Jesus had his disciples come, come to this place here called the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, sit here while, while I go over here to pray. And he took with him Peter, John, and James, the sons of Zebedee, and, and began to, to be grieved and distressed. He said, my soul was very sorrowful, even to death. And he tells the three there to, to remain here and, and, and watch with me. And going a little further, Jesus falls on his face and, and he said, my father, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Not as I will, but as you will. 
That's in verse 39 there. See, our Lord had two natures. He's truly God and truly man. The cross was a test of his human nature. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was, he was hours away from the crucifixion. This was Thursday night. He'd be sentenced to crucifixion early Friday morning. It's hours away. This human nature began to dwell upon the path that was ordained for him to go down. path in which he himself ordained. This human nature contemplating the torture, contemplating the pain, contemplating being smitten by God and afflicted. This says in Isaiah 53, this human nature began to, to feel the weight and feel the gravity of what lies ahead. And of course, we, we know that, that all that suffering he would endure was to pay the penalty for the sins of all who will ever believe. One thing we must understand, too, is that in this moment, Jesus never moved an atom's width from the resolve to do the Father's will. And yet his human nature, which we can understand, began to think about the full cup of perfect divine wrath against sin. And within hours, it would be his cup to drink. He cried out with anguish, cried out with grief. It says even to the point of death. His human nature was, was suffering with the path set before him. That's why he says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. That's the Gethsemane experience. There's so much more entailed in this, but that's the Gethsemane experience. His human nature did not want to go to the cross. Luke records how, how he was praying so fervently that, that his sweat became like drops of blood falling to the ground. So how did he overcome this? How did he overcome? How did he conquer just like Paul, how did he overcome? How did he conquer? Simple. Simple but difficult. By submitting to the Father's will. He submitted solely to the Father's will. This is the way of, of, of triumph. This is the, the way of the conqueror. This is the mind of Christ. We do this knowing that God's way is always best always best, even if we don't see or understand at the moment, knowing that his ways are best. God that orders our path is of infinite wisdom and of infinite goodness and of infinite love. He has a purpose and a plan that whether you and I understand it or, or not, we are called to trust in him knowing that his ways are, uh, doesn't even do it justice to say his ways are above our ways. They are so far above our ways. Peter says in his first letter, chapter 4, verse 19, he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will 
entrust their souls to a faithful creator. Trusting our souls to a faithful creator. So those who wrestle with their, their own Gethsemane experience, where you're wanting to go down one path, but the Lord is directing you down another. And you can only say, but Lord, deliver me if possible. But if not, not as I will, but as you will. So we come to this point here of, of submission to God. We encounter a, a sense of peace and a sense of joy, even in the midst of turmoil, even in the midst of chaos. It comes from submitting to the Father's will. I believe this is what explains why Paul walked this 30 miles alone. He had all these big plans ahead. Go to Jerusalem, go to Rome, go to Spain, and, and who knows what else is on his mind. Then he came to peace with what lies ahead, knowing that his will is not the Father's will. So as he traveled that stretch of Roman road, reaching Asos, he's newly refreshed by, by coming to the grips with God's will. Gets on the boat there in Asos, and, and he sails to, to Mytilene, Samos, and then to Miletus. At Miletus, he calls upon the Ephesian elders to, to come to him, and, and this is one of the things here in which he says to them, which you see this, this change in, in Paul's mind here. Look here in verse, back in Acts. Verse 24. He says, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And then he says, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So what's that communicating? He's going to go to Jerusalem. Chains and afflictions await. He's like, that's okay. Chains and afflictions await. That's okay. I may end up dying there, but that's okay. Because the die is the game. He has resigned himself to the will of God, whatever the course is, whatever the course may be, because his ways are always best. His ways are higher than our ways. So again, I think this is why Paul needed these, these two days Paul wrestling with God and coming to the point of bowing his knees to the cup of suffering, to the cup of imprisonment, to the cup of affliction, ordained by God, told to him repeatedly by the Holy Spirit. This is very powerful. This is very powerful because oftentimes in your life and in my life, God intentionally brings us to this Gethsemane experience where we battle our will versus God's will, battling our plans versus God's plans. 
But what we want and what we desire are, are clearly not what God has ordained for our lives. This could be so many varying different things. For some, it may be a struggle with a new mission field, new job, new location. Your Gethsemane experience perhaps may be, perhaps may be God calling you out of darkness and into the light. Those that are of the world love the world. And that is where all who have been born again once were. Following the course of the world. Remember what Jesus said to Paul on the road to Damascus? He said, Saul, he started off said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he says kind of a strange thing. He says, it's hard to kick against the goads. A goad being a long stick that one end's pointed, the other one has like a flat shovel for cleaning off plows, and the other one is to get those oxen moving. Some ox kick against it, it just hurts even more. So just imagine Paul as he's persecuting these Christians, going from town to town. You know he was seeing some stuff. What I mean by that, the glory of God just exuberating through his people, even during those, those persecutions. Remember when he was holding the 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 coats of those who stoned Stephen. Standing there, watching Stephen get stoned, and Stephen saying, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. I'm sure that was very similar to what was going on each and every town he was going through and persecuting, seeing the strength in which God gives to those people, even in those times, even those persecutions. He's dragging people out of their homes and they're just sharing with him Christ. I think that could be some Gethsemane experience. They have one foot in the world. But yet all around them they're seeing the things in which God is doing. They're in their family seeing what God is doing, completely changing their family, changing people around them, struggling with holding on, holding on to the things of the world. If you find yourself in that type of Gethsemane experience, Perhaps it's, it's God just drawing you to himself. He's going to win that battle every time. But he says, humble yourself lest you be humbled. You fight against it. Continue to have a love for the world. Continue to have one foot in the world and be pulled and drawn by 
perhaps it might be people around you in a negative way. Friends that don't care about your eternal life. Just care about life here and now. God calls you to look to him, solely to him. He says, humble yourself lest you be humbled. It's much easier to humble yourself than to go through the humbling from the almighty God. So whatever it may be, if you're wrestling with these things in your heart and in your mind, go to the scriptures, seek God in all things. Seek his will. So many, and many times here, I don't know what God's will is for my life. It's right here. It's right here. Read it, see it, obey it. He calls all to repentance. So to repent and put your faith in him. And so, in seeking his will, we look to, to Christ, exactly what he says. He says, if it's possible, deliver me. But if not my will, but your will. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning that if there are any of those here that are wrestling, struggling, perhaps in their own Gethsemane experience. Lord, I pray that your spirit settles their heart, brings them to the understanding that your will is so much greater, so much greater than ours. Lord, I pray your spirit convicts brings our hearts and minds in alignment with your will always, that we're always seeking your will and not our own. Lord, I pray if the struggle for, for any in here is it's a salvational struggle, that they may have one foot in the world, but seeing all the great things, <clears throat> seeing your holiness all around them, I pray that your spirit takes their heart of stone and turns it to a heart of flesh so that on that great day, on that great day when you return, you will say to them, each and every one of us in here, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into my kingdom. Lord, we praise you and we praise this in Jesus' name. Amen.